Deuteronomy, well, Deuteronomy for chapter 15. We're going back to chapter 15. Last week we kind of had a topical study about baptism, and we had a good baptism, and it was good to have some of our young men be baptized following the Lord in obedience. But in the book of Deuteronomy, it is the most quoted book in the New Testament. Quoted by Jesus, quoted by others. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we first hear that God loves us. He says, I love you. Now, we hear a person today talk about how they love God. And I do want that said of myself, that I love God. But the true issue is we are simply responding to his love to us. And 71 times in the book of Deuteronomy, we also hear God say, through Moses, listen to me. Deuteronomy is a, a recap of what we're to do and how we're to act and how we're to be obedient to God's word. And it's interesting that God will say, listen to me. And as parents, we sometimes will say to our young children, look at me, I'm talking to you. <laughs> it's got to have that eye contact. And that's sort of what God's saying in Deuteronomy. He said, look at me, I'm talking to you, listen to me. And God repeats himself. Why does he repeat himself? Because we need to hear it again and again, because our minds will wander, they will drift, and God needs to tell us what he expects of us. But Deuteronomy, it only covers 45 days of Moses' life. That's a month and a half. For Moses is about to go to be with the Lord. And Moses, he does repeat the laws and the statutes of God throughout this book. Again, because we need to hear them. Because of God's love towards us, he desires of us that we take on his characteristics. We're to take on the very ways of God. We're not to look to other men as examples. We're to look to Jesus, look to God, and pattern our life after God himself. And so we look and we see what are the main characteristics of God. Well, they're mercy and grace. That's our God, full of mercy, full of grace. And, and we hear God tell us that he takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. He doesn't enjoy bringing down judgment on evil, evil mankind. And God is not willing that any should perish. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad that our God says that? I'm not willing that any should perish. And he makes salvation available to each and every one of us to all of mankind through his son, Jesus. And that is a great blessing, tremendous blessing. But God doesn't stop there. 
God cares about our daily lives. He wants us to live a life that's fulfilling, one that's happy, one that's content. And Israel, for 40 years, they've been out in the wilderness, and they have been fed by the hand of God. Manna. Even when Israel complained about manna, God gave them manna. Think about that. Oh, you're going to complain about it? Well, I'll just take it away for a few years here. No, God was still faithful, still gave them their manna, even though they complained about it. And he also gave them water. Out in the middle of the desert, God provided water for a multitude of probably two and a half million people. And he not only provides them water, he provides water for all of their livestock. Having a few beef cows, I'm a cattleman. On our little farm, we have, we're up, we, we have six cows. But it amazes me how much water a cow drinks. A dog or a cat, and you've heard me say this, they lap water. You can watch them and their tongue's going fast and they're lapping water. A cow vacuums water. <laughs> gallons upon gallons a day. I have a hundred gallon tank that sometimes I will separate a, a calf from its mom or, and either put the cow, the mama in isolation or the calf in isolation and I'll put water in that tank and I'll go back the next day and I'll go, who drank all that water? You know, a hundred gallon tank and it'll be half gone, one cow, you know, and you go, my goodness. But God has led Israel out in the wilderness, uh, a pillar of fire by night. And this fire not only led them, if you've ever been out in the desert at night, it gets cold in the desert at night. And God has got his own little furnace there to take the chill off the night air for Israel out in the wilderness. And God also leads them by a cloud during the day. A shade from the hot sun beating down on them. God gives them shade because he cares about their human comforts. And all we got to do to realize God's love for us and his goodness to us is to see how faithful he is in things of comfort. Like electricity. What a great, great thing electricity can be. How about a kitchen stove, a microwave even? That's my extent of cooking, microwave. But anyway, he gives us air conditioning where we can sleep at night here in the humid hot south. <laughs> And he even gives us hot water to bathe with. That's a blessing, asked George and Luann, who just got back from Africa. <laughs> hot water can be a blessing. But God cares about our creature comforts, for he's the good shepherd. And God cares about our state of mind. He cares about our mental health. He cares about our attitude towards life. He desires that we be content and happy. And so we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. 
And at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner, you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owned by your brother. Except when there may be, except when there may be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today, and this is Moses speaking, for the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you, and he and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. If there is any among you a poor man of your brethren <clears throat> within your gates, in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient to his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and all which you put your hand to. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and to your needy in your land. Notice you could only be in debt in Israel as a nation for a maximum of seven years. We have car loans that go longer than that now. But every seventh year, there was the releasing of debt. Every seventh year was the year of Jubilee, where all debts to your fellow brothers, to your fellow Israelites, they were completely forgiven. So at the beginning, when they started this seventh year, you had a good credit score. Everybody had a good credit score. But come year six, lenders were hard to come by. For they had only one year then to recoup their money that they had lent out. And these are the lending laws that prevail in Israel. But they only applied to fellow Israelites, of a foreigner, a Gentile, you could require full payment of your lending. And in verse 4, there was a possibility, only a possibility, of no poor people in Israel. There were poor people, but there was a possibility of no one being poor because of lack of resources or anything like that, because they were going into a land of plenty. 
The promised land was a land flowing with milking and hunting, meaning there was many resources, many opportunities to make a good living there in the land of Canaan. But most people are not poor from a lack of resources. They're usually poor from bad money decisions. And it says, I don't want, God says, I don't want the poor crying out to me because you will not lend them. And God calls these thoughts of not lending, not giving to the poor, he calls them wickedness. Isn't that amazing? It's wickedness if you're not charitable towards your fellow brother. We can think that the option to give or to lend is based on ourselves, how we feel. And we know that our Lord wants us to be cheerful givers, but it's important in our giving that our attitude be one of giving. Because if your attitude is not one of giving or lending to your brother, that's wickedness to you. And God says, you don't want your brother crying out to me, your God, about you not taking care of him. For God was a giver. God said, I love the world so much, I gave my own son. A non-giving heart is a wicked heart. And it's totally contrary to God. God cares about the poor. Even though verse 11 proclaims the poor will never cease to be among you. That doesn't mean God doesn't care about them. So turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at some words Jesus had to say about the poor. Jesus talked about uh, this the poor. He talked about it in John and in Luke also. But we're going to read Mark 14, 1 through 9. After two days it was Passover in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take Jesus by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured the oil over his head. But there were some who were indignant among them and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do good to them. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial 
for her or to her. Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas. The religious leaders are seeking to put Jesus to death. And we have a woman anointing Jesus' body for burial. This woman is probably Mary of Bethany. That's what most believe, and that's who I think it was also. And she is at Simon the leper's house where there's a feast going on for Jesus there, given by Simon. And Simon is giving this feast out of gratitude of heart because Simon has been cleansed of leprosy by our Lord. But right in the middle of the meal, Mary breaks open this alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard, and she pours it on Jesus. Mary is one of the precious few people who understand Jesus is about to go to the cross. Jesus is about to be crucified, and she's got to do something to show her love to her Lord. Her act of love, according to Jesus, is not only misunderstood by Judas and the others, it says they are indignant. They're upset with Mary for doing this. And they openly criticize Mary. They call her gracious act. Her act to them is a waste. It's a great waste. This oil of Spikner, it was worth uh, more than a year's wages. Consider that. More than a year's wages. And a denarius is simply the equivalent of one day's wage. Whatever value you put on a wage today. For me, it's about 15, 20 bucks. For some of you guys, it's over 100 bucks. <laughs> but, but for me, a day's wages. That all depends what you <laughs> consider a day's wages. But many commentators, they think Mary has given her dowry, her life savings, to, in this oil to anoint Jesus. She's got to do something. Mary understands what's about to become of her Lord, and she's got to do something. Jesus says she's anointed my body for my burial. In John's gospel, he tells us it is Judas who wants to know why the oil was not sold for thousands of dollars and the money given to the poor. It also says G Judas would often steal from the money bag, but that's beside the point. And here's the thing. It's not only Judas. The other disciples, at least some of them, are in this group that are indignant and criticizing Mary. Mary's given her future, her dowry, in an act of love to her Lord. And now... She's being criticized by the disciples for doing it. She's given her total savings, more than likely. 
as an act of love to her Lord. And this odor, it absolutely floods the whole house. Oil of spikenard is a very strong, fragrant odor, and it filled the house. And the disciples, the disciples, the followers of Christ, considered this a terrible waste. In fact, this act by Mary pushes Judas over the edge. He cannot handle this. We read uh, verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Betrayal can never be convenient. No matter how much you want it to be, it is never convenient. Judas considers the oil a waste because it was given to anoint Jesus. An act of love that was not necessary in Judas's eyes. Mary is completely misunderstood by Judas and some of the disciples. Today, you Christians are misunderstood by the world when you give your tithes and offerings to churches, to the purposes of God. There's many Christian groups that consider giving to God a total act of love. But these that feel that it's a waste to give liberally to God, they will give liberally to feed the hungry. They will give liberally to build hospitals, to give medical care to those that are in need of medical care, but to give money to support the causes of God, they consider that a waste. Recently, I heard a politician, a woman politician, a woman who's running for the Democratic nomination of the presidency, she said the church needs to rethink how they distribute their funds. Oh, okay. <laughs> she thinks that giving to the causes of God are a waste. To her, the church should be feeding the hungry, helping the poor, because that's more important than trying to save souls. I have never in my entire life been more disappointed in the politics and in the laws and regulations of our nation than I am right now. I've never dreamed I would see the day where we send a person to jail for refusing to give a marriage license to same sex. 
And this gal up in Kentucky, I take my hat off to her. She's standing for what she believes, regardless of the laws of the land. The laws of God are stronger than the laws of the land in this issue. But as a Christian, we have the privilege to bless our Lord with our giving. And that is a great privilege. But many people consider our privilege a waste. Many in our government are quick to become the borrower versus the lender. And thus America is in great debt today because we simply do not obey God's laws. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, God promises when we will give to the needy, brothers and sisters in Christ is what uh, in, we're talking about here. In Israel, it was giving to a fellow Israelite. God himself says, I will bless you if you do this. I will bless all of your works. I will bless you in everything that you do, especially the things you do for my kingdom. Giving is a blessed position for me as a person to be a lender and a giver versus being a person who takes. We are allowed to be like our Lord. We are allowed to be like our God by giving and lending. As a church, as a body of believers, we desperately try to be good stewards of the funds we receive here. We want to help the poor. We're, we don't shun the poor or the needy, but we help our body first. We want to take care of our body of believers here first. And Jesus said, the poor we have with us always, and they always are giving us opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ. And we should. Therefore, let us be like our Lord, our giving God, and avoid, totally avoid the wicked thought the action of not giving. To me, that's so profound. He said, don't let a wicked heart be in you when it comes to being generous to those around you that are hurting or in need. And by all means, always be a cheerful giver or don't bother to give. Because if you're not cheerful about it, it doesn't do you any good anyway. So. Let us be cheerful givers, taking care of the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand in closing prayer. Father God, you're, you're so plain. You're so upfront with us about how we're to care for one another. How we're to give and to lend to one another. And Lord, we don't want anyone ever praying that we would have a tender heart. We want to have a tender heart before you, Lord, for you have blessed us abundantly. We want to be givers. We want to be lenders, Lord. We want to be taking care of your body and thus be pleasing to you, Lord. 
So adjust our hearts, adjust our thinking if they need it, Lord. But we thank you for the privilege of being like yourself, taking on the nature of our Heavenly Father, full of mercy and full of grace. Be with us, Lord. And we thank you for loving us so much to give us your Son. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.